Got your Bible turn to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, Ephesians chapter number 2, and uh, we'll start there this morning. My, I'm from Sauk Village, Illinois. I grew up in, in that town, 30 miles south of Chicago. This morning, they got eight inches of snow, and we got nothing. Man, alive. It springs, springs, do I hear division in the auditorium this morning? I'll tell you. I kind of like snow. I really do. I really do. You know, and again, we get to heaven, perfect place, 70 degree weather with snowballs. It's going to be great. And so, anyway, but, uh, you know, I was thinking this morning, I remember those days uh, getting up on Sunday morning, and of course, church was across the street, and going through that snow, getting over there, and just uh, got brought back some memories. I didn't do any of that this morning. Kansas does not get a lot of snow. I'm not sure why. We get kind of like a little feather duster. That was about it. And then, but we don't get the inches and inches and inches of it. But, uh, you know, our state, when we do get snow, everything shuts down because we're not prepared for it. And uh, it, where I'm in the Chicagoland area, obviously they get a lot of snow, so they are prepared for it, so it's nothing to go out when there's eight inches of snow. If we had eight inches of snow here, I wouldn't see you for three weeks. And so, anyway, I, I guess I should be glad. So, anyway. Uh, church family, I'm going to read just a f- uh, three or four verses with you, if you don't mind. So if you're able, would you stand? Let's go ahead and read just a few verses before we uh, look at the message this morning. Ephesians chapter number 2, I want to start there, Ephesians chapter number 2. Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians from prison. And as he writes to the church at Ephesus from prison, he's going to make some statements. He was actually had a three-year ministry or so. Uh, of course, we know that from the book of Acts, as far as there in Ephesus, people were saved, church was established. And I want you to notice he says in Ephesians 2, let's look at these first four verses together. It says, and you hath he quickened, that means made alive, you, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. All right, so in other words, before you got saved, you were dead spiritually. There was no Holy Spirit that dwelt inside of you. You were not alive spiritually, you were dead spiritually uh, before you got saved. Then he goes on to say in verse 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He said, now, this is how you walked in the past. Before you got saved, there's a, a particular course you were on, all right? Obviously, if you're not saved, you're on a course for hell. Obviously, if you're not saved, you're on, on a course for worldliness. He says that's the life, that's the path, that's the course you were on. That was before you got saved. Look what he says in the next verse, verse number three. Among whom also we all had our conversation, that means behavior. We all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Don't you like verse 4? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. All right, and so we understand that the reason we're saved is because Jesus loved us first. Amen? First John four nineteen. I want to talk to you for a little bit uh, this morning about the, the believer's walk. And again, he makes reference to what walk you had before you got saved. And in chapter number five, he's going to make reference to what walk you should have after you get saved. And so we're going to look at the believer's walk in Ephesians chapter five this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we stop and pray and ask, uh, Father, that your blessing would be upon this hour, that our ears would hear uh, that still small voice of yours. Uh, Father, that we would make uh, the decision that you would want uh, during and even at the end of this service uh, that would cause us to draw nigh to you. Uh, Father, if there's a person here that uh, is still not saved, would you again draw them to you, help them to come to Christ today, this morning, and again help us as that our believers, Father, may we see what kind of walk, what kind of life that we should have and what we should live, and may we do accordingly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Ephesians chapter 5 now, if you'll flip it, just flip just a couple chapters over. Ephesians chapter number 5. Apostle Paul is going to talk to the Ephesian church, and again, these are believers, and he's going to tell them how they're supposed to live their life. 
when we talk about a person's walk, we're talking about, uh, I always call it the habitual, uh, the habitual action of life, is our walking. We, not, we don't always run, but we walk. It's something that moves us forward. And, uh, and Paul here is making reference to our daily life as far as our Christian on how we're supposed to walk as a Christian. By the way, we're not supposed to walk the old life. We're not supposed to walk that old course uh, before we got saved. Now, if you got saved later in life, you understand what that means. If you were saved as a child, five, six, seven, eight, if you got saved as a child, you don't know what it, what it means to, to drink alcohol or uh, to be on drugs or to be around immorality and all those other things if you got saved younger. But can I tell you, you were saved out of the same sin as a person who got saved later in life because the Bible says that's part of our sin nature. Wherefore, is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We sin because that's our nature to sin. And when you got saved, the spirit becomes alive and the spirit, help, which is quickened, helps us overcome the temptation to sin. Now, I want you to notice three verses and then I'm going to preach on those three verses this morning. Let's look at them quickly. The first one is verse number two. He says, and walk in, what's the word? In verse number eight, for you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as what? And then in verse number 15, see then that ye walk what? circumspectly. So Paul is talking to these believers in Ephesus and he says, now there's three types of ways or three ways that you should be walking as a Christian. You should be living as a Christian. How many saved this morning? Say amen. amen. Then these three things are for you this morning. All right. Paul was writing to believers when he talked about this. This is the way of life. This is what you should be doing in the Christian life. All right. It doesn't matter if you're young. It doesn't matter if you're a college student. It doesn't matter if you're a senior saint. God says, I want you to walk in love. I want you to walk as children of light. And I want you to walk circumspectly. Now, I want, to think, I want you to think about these three things this morning. Of Are you walking this way? Because this is what God wants you to walk like. All right, let's look at the first one this morning. Here's what he says in verse number seven. I'm sorry, verse number one. Let's pick it up there. Here he says again. He starts off by saying, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now, Church, I mean, he starts off here in verse number one when the word followers there means to mimic. It means to copy. Paul's talking to, church, to these believers at Ephesus and he says, listen, you ought to copy God. At church, I mean, there's five things in scripture that God says you're supposed to copy him in. He says to copy him in love. He says to copy him in mercy. He says to copy him in forgiveness. He says to copy him in perfection. He says to copy him in holiness. Now, this one on love is very interesting because the greatest command in the Bible is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And the second is thereunto, love your neighbor as yourself. Church family, when you think about this idea of loving people, we think of love as a, are you all with me this morning? Amen. We think of it as a passionate emotion of, I feel for that person. But church family, think about this for a second here. That passionate emotion that we often refer to between a man and a woman, God says you're supposed to love everybody that way. So he obviously he's not talking about this type of relationship of a boyfriend-girlfriend. He's talking about this, I, this type of um, affection that we're supposed to have toward people. Amen. It's interesting. One, two, three, four, five. There's five people in the Bible said God says to love. He says to love the Lord thy God. He says to love your neighbor as yourself. He said to love your enemies. He said to love your wife. And he said to love the brethren. Now, with that said, God says, I want you to walk in love. Church family, the idea of walking is it's a habit. My wife, uh, she'd tell you this, but my wife would tell you uh, that at, if I'm ever on the phone, I don't sit down when I'm on the phone. Now, it was really rough when they had cords and they were in, cords were in the wall. I would get all tangled up while I was on the phone. 
The kids don't know what a cord is, okay? It's something that was on the phone, it went to the wall, and you always made sure that you had a long one so that you could at least walk while you were on the phone. I love cell phone in the sense that I, I can walk. If I'm in my office, I got plenty of air to walk. At home, I'm walking. My wife, she'll tease me. I'm on the phone with somebody, and she says, how many laps do you have, all right, while I'm on the phone, all right, trying to interrupt me. And, uh, but walking is a habit of life, all right? And that habit of life is what moves us forward. It's just simply, I, I'm not running, I'm not sprinting, I'm just walking. It's, it, that's the Christian life, by the way. Our habit of life ought to be the idea of I'm supposed to show forth love in my life. In fact, in this verse, he says there's three ways you're supposed to show love, and it's all about Christ. Did you notice in verse number two? He said walk in love, and it's three phrases. The first phrase he says in verse number two is, as Christ also had loved us. First John 4, 19, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. For God so loved what? Church, I mean, you ought to think about that for just a moment. You ought to stop think God loves you. He loves you. I don't know if you ever stop and think this way, but you ever thought you could have been, been more, born in some foreign country where Hinduism was the chief religion or, uh, or Islam was the chief religion and you could have all your life been raised one way and it not be the truth. You know what? God loved you. You could have been raised in a home in the United States of America where a family disassociated from God, church, anything that was religious and you just was raised all your life to do whatever you want. That's the kind of home you could have been raised in, young person. But you know what? God loved you. You could, have, you could have not had that person, there's some of you like this, you could have not been that person that someone came and knocked on your door and said, my name is Scott, this is John, we're from the Heritage Baptist Church. Like, no, if you go to church, more important than going to church, knowing for sure you're going to heaven. Do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? Can I take five minutes and show you what the Bible says? God didn't have to send somebody to you. People don't just show up at your door by accident. I believe that every, every, uh, every time we meet somebody, it's a divine appointment when it comes to talking to people. God allows people to come across your path and you got saved because God allowed somebody to come across your path to show you that you were a sinner needing a savior. If you're saved, you ought to thank God he loved you. As a parent, we have, to a degree, uh, we can't be as God yet. When we get to heaven, the Bible says we should be like him. But a parent, a parental love for a child is, is um, I hate to use the word similar because it's not the same, but it's similar to the, the relationship that God has with us in this sense. We love our children even if they don't love us. There's some of you, your, your kids, they've grown now, and, but they have slapped you in the face, not physically, but they've slapped you in the face, they've disassociated with you, they've mocked what you've taught them all your life, they're living the, the life of the prodigal, but you still love them. Amen. I've heard you, you still love them. You would do anything for them. You know why? Because you love them. Can I tell you the kind of love we're supposed to have for people? It's called, it's the Greek word for agape. God says, I want you to love one way. I don't want you to love because somebody loves you. I want you to love because that's what I did for you. He says, we're supposed to love as Christ loved the church. He goes, again, in this passage, actually three phrases. The first phrase, he says, I want you to love as Christ loved you. Second phrase, and hath given himself for us. First John tells us that as far as loving the brethren, you ought to be willing to give yourself for the brethren. Hey, you know, we, we have a tendency that we only love because people love us. But you know what? The person you dislike, that's, and he's your brother in Christ. God says that you should give your life for them. All I'm trying to say is, is that an action or the habitual part of our Christian life ought to be that of one of loving people. And ought not to be this defensive, negative, you know, show me why I should. God said, I want you to love. 
And, and of course, he shows us the example, of course, of being the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so the first thing is this idea of love. Now, Church Emily, because we're reading in context this morning, I stopped at verse number two, but truthfully, the context of walking in love goes to verse number six, but they don't seem like they go together. All right, so that's why I stopped. Now I want to show it to you. But look what he says next. After he says, walk in love, verse number three, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient. Convenient meaning proper or fit. Not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Now I read the verses, but the context is simply this. God said that your habit of life ought to be one of walking in love, and there's no way for you to walk in love and be in sin. You cannot be a fornicator. You cannot be an adulterous person. You cannot be doing these things that are ungodly and think that you're loving people. It's an impossibility. How do we know that? Book of Romans. Right. Hold your place there. We'll come right back. Go over, flip over to Romans for just a moment. Romans. And flip over to chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We've been going through Romans chapter 12 in chapel, talking about how to get along with others in several chapel services. And verse number 9 uh, is one of those verses. Romans chapter 12, verse number 9 says this. Let love be without what? All right, now dissimulation means faintly or fake. In other words, don't say I love you and not mean it, all right, or show it. And then the next phrase says, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Church family, you cannot love a person apart from righteousness in that sense. Look what he says in the next chapter, Romans 13, verse number 10. Romans 13, 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is what? Fulfilling the law. Church family, think for a second here. What's the law? Thou shalt not kill. You can't love somebody if you're killing them. I know this is too deep for you this morning, okay? It's really deep, okay? Uh, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. You can't love. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You can't love from somebody and be stealing from them. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You cannot love appropriately and properly if you're committing adultery. You understand that love, or our expression of love, is based upon righteousness or doing right toward people. So you know what God says? God says you're supposed to walk in love. You know how you walk in love? Do right toward people. Do right toward people. We are guilty of not loving people because of our actions toward others. That's what he's trying to teach there in verses 1 through 6. He's saying, now listen, I want you to walk in love and I want to show you how you do it. Don't fornicate. I want to show you how you do it. Don't be unclean. I want to show you how you do it. Don't covet. I want to show you how you do it. Don't be filthy. I want to show you how you do it. Don't do foolish talk. Listen, some of you young people, this idea of foolish talk and jesting, there's some things you just don't tease about. Bathroom talk is not funny. Using the world's slogans is not funny. You know, God says, that's not showing love. If you're going to walk in love, you've got to be holy. All right, now quickly look at the next thing. First he, first he says that as a Christian, your actions ought to be one of walking in love. All right, look at the next thing. Here's the next one, verse, verse 7 through 14. Verse 7 says, Be ye not therefore partakers with them, for, we, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as, what are we supposed to walk as? Children of light. And then he says, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Now, before I go any farther, let me just, let me stop and say simply this. We understand that light and darkness are the difference between being saved and lost. Where do we get that from? 2 Corinthians 6, verse number 14. What communion hath light 
with darkness. What's he talking about? Being not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then he goes through these different parallels. Light and darkness is saved and lost. God says, I want you to walk as a children of light. What's the opposite of that? Walking like the children of darkness. What's a ch child of darkness? Child of the devil. God says, I don't want you to duplicate Satan's children. I want you to duplicate my children. Walk as children of light. You know, uh, we often quote the verse, and I might as well just do it, but 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, we quote that verse, and a lot of times we don't like that verse because of what it's teaching us. It's teaching us that I'm not supposed to be like the lost world. Be not conformed, Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, it's interesting to me. He said in the book of Timothy, he says, And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Just, I mean, you know why we don't suffer persecution? Because we're so much like the world, there's no difference. If there was a difference between us and the world, we would get persecuted. We would get belittled. We would get mocked. We would be disassociated from. Well, listen to me this morning. But because we're so much like the world, the world doesn't mind associating in the sense of, oh, that's a good person. Church, I mean, they're not going to think you're a good person if you're truly light. I just hate to tell you this. Okay? And you know, how do we know that? I want to tell you I know that because light and darkness doesn't mix. Is there a hell, yes or no? Do unbelievers go to hell, yes or no? Okay, then that, and it is broad as the way that leadeth to destruction and narrows the way that leadeth to life everlasting, which would tell us there are more people going to hell than there are going to heaven. Would you agree with that? Okay, now if that's the case, and you're a child, a child of light, and there's the broad as the way that leadeth to destruction, that means there's more children of darkness than there are children of light, you are going to stand out like a sore thumb if you walk as a children of light. And in the next verse, Paul says, this is how you walk as a child of light. Look what he says next here, in verse number 15 again. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, forgive me, not verse 15, verse number 8. He says, for we were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, all right? Now, he goes on to say in the next verse, here's how you're going to do it. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. In other words, if you're going to walk in the light, the Spirit's got to have control of your life. How does the Spirit have control of your life? Filled with the Spirit, filled with Scripture. The more Scripture I put in, the more filling of the Spirit that I have. If the Spirit's going to have control of my life, I've got to put the Word of God in. So how do I act like a child of light? A children of, of, of light is, is, a, is that kind of person or has that kind of walk because he is Spirit-controlled or the Spirit has control of his life. Look what he says in the next verse. That's verse number 9, verse number 10. He said in verse number 10, proving what is acceptable unto you. Is that what that says? It says, proving what is acceptable to who? All right. Now, I have I've dealt with young, usually it's a young person, not, not sometimes I guess an adult, but they'll come to me and they'll say, prove to me why this is wrong. I always take them to Ephesians 5.10. You know why? Because the burden of proof is not to prove why something is wrong. The burden of proof is to prove why it's acceptable to the Lord. I'm going to test this. I'm going to find out, is God pleased with me doing this? I'm sick and tired of young people trying to justify why they're living for the devil. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that says I shouldn't do it. You know, if you'd read your Bible, you'd find out it's not true. It's easy to make those kind of statements. You know, our, we, our college handbook, seemingly every year, it grows a little bit because somebody, the, the worst thing a college student can say to me is, 
It's not in the rule book. That is not the right thing to say to me, okay? If you're in trouble, come up with something else, but don't tell me it's not in the rule book, okay? Because when you make statements like that, you have already told me you broke the rule. I don't know if you've ever read our handbook before for the college, but the very first statement says this, that we do not need a rule to dismiss you from college if the spirit of if your attitude is not in co coherence with what we're trying to teach here, then there's, I don't have to have a rule. And I put that first because I've had college students tell me that. Well, it's not in the rule book. You know what they do? They root through the whole rule book so they can find an exception to the rule. Can I tell you? College students are like Christians. God gave you a rule book. What's your rule book? It's the word of God. So stop trying to live your life to try to figure out what you can do and it not be against the rule. Just prove what's acceptable to the Lord. What's the word acceptable? It means to be pleasing to God. Does this please God or does it not please God? Well, it's not really that bad. Does it please God? It's not really that worldly. Does it please God? The proof is not whether or not it's wrong. The proof is, is it right? That's what we've got to do. So guess what? If you're going to walk like a child of ch children of light, what, what should you do? You should be spirit controlled. What are you going to do? You're going to prove what's acceptable to the Lord. Look what he says next, the very next verse, verse number 11. He says, if you're going to walk as a child of light and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Now think about that. No fellowship. The word fellowship means partnership. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now, listen, I know that you have to work a secular job. You know, uh, Ethan came to me before he ever uh, joined the reserves, military, I should say. And, um, and he asked, and he, several, he actually came to me more than once. And my biggest concern with Ethan is that when you put yourself in a position like that to where you're constantly with unbelievers, sometimes a person changes, all right? And I don't know how else to say it, you know? The, the psalmist said, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. I wish all of our companions could be like that, but when you work a secular job, you're going to rub shoulders with people who are lost. Now, church family, can I tell you something? You can't change the fact that you're going to make a living but I want to tell you something. You've got to be careful about making your fellowship with the people who are lost. Your fellowship needs to be with those who are saved. Well, I'm a big enough Christian. It won't affect me. Church family, he said it very clearly here that if you're going to walk as a child, children of life, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Church family, listen. It's not a matter of that you're a big enough Christian to handle the temptation. It's a matter that I don't want to be where the temptation is so that I have to say No. How do I do that? I don't yoke up with unbelievers. Just show me, you're supposed to be light and salt. You're supposed to go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. God didn't intend for you not to have any communication with lost people. But he did not want you to have fellowship. He doesn't want you to yoke up, join in. But these are nice people. Well, I hate to tell you this. Nice people are going to go to hell. You don't have fellowship just because a person's nice. You have fellowship because it's right. If you're going to walk like a child in a life. I, I, um, when I was a teenager, I worked for Burger King and was, did that my junior and senior year. And every year they would have a Christmas, uh, Christmas party for all the Burger King workers. I wouldn't go to it. And I didn't need my dad to tell me I couldn't go to it. I knew it wasn't good for me to go to as a Christian when all the people I worked with were lost people. I didn't need to go to their Christmas party. Can I tell you that in life, God wants you to associate with people to bring them to Christ and that your light would shine, but he never intended for you to be bosom buddies with a lost person because as a child of life, you can't keep that up without that rubbing off on you. 
Trisha, I mean, if you had one good apple and you put it into a bushel of bad apples, does the one good apple make the bad apples better? It's a fact of life that's the same thing with spirituality. You know, and by the way, I'll go as far as saying you got to be careful of hanging around Christians who are carnal. Because sometimes a person says they're saved, but they're living like a lost person. So if I'm going to walk as a child of light, I've got to make sure I don't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. All right, last one he says about this, about the children of light, is in verse number 13 and 14. He said in verse 13, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. Now, I don't want to lose you here, but listen to what he said there. All things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. Look what he says next. He says, and for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Now, the word manifest just means to make known, okay? Now, just show me what, it, now, the first verse does not say who, by the way. It says what? Whatsoever make manifest. What makes manifest or what makes known to us what is right? What, what is that? It's the Bible, the Word of God, all right? Now, look what he says next in the next verse, okay? Next verse, he says this. Wherefore, he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee what? All right, now, so I, mean, I quote it a lot, but it's true. Our, the Bible we hold is the living word of God, right? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, word was with God, word was God. So the Bible is the living word of God. Jesus, who is the word of God that you hold in your hand, the Bible is what is our light. Psalm 1, what does it say? Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, it's the word of God that shows me how I'm supposed to live. So if I'm going to be a child of light, I've got to be in the word of God, which gives me light so that I can be a light. Make sense? All right, so here's what he says, all right? Again, I don't want to lose you this morning, but here's what he says. Paul's writing this letter, writing to the church of Ephesus. He says, I just want to remember, remind you what kind of walk you used to have. Your walk was according to the course of this world. Your walk was as a child, a child of the devil. That's the kind of walk you used to have. Now I want to tell you what kind of walk you ought to have. The first kind of walk that you ought to have, you ought to walk in love. You ought to love people. and You ought to do good to people. You ought to show your kindness to people. He says that's, kind of, that's what a Christian ought to be. He said, second of all, not only walk in love, he says, number one, you ought to walk as children of light. There ought to be a difference in your life. You know, Brother uh, Daniels likes KU, and he's, you know, he, he'll wear KU paraphernalia. You know, if you go to somebody, you know, some people like K-State, and they like to wear that uh, weird color. Um, but, you know, there's, there's different people that, it, just depending on who they're for, you know, they like to show their team spirit. Can I tell you, you're a Christian, you ought to show your team spirit. Amen. I'm on the winning team, by the way. I ought to show my teens, people ought to know I'm a Christian. You know why? Because I'm walking as a child of light. All right, collect, one more here. Here's what he says last of all. Verse number 15. In verse 15, 16, and 17, he says this. See then that ye walk how? Circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. All right, now, church, I mean, that word circumspectly, if you look it up in the 1828 dictionary, it means cautiously. But if you look at the Greek word for this, it actually means exactly. Exactly. So here's what he says. He says, listen, you walked, before you got saved, you did whatever you want. You were all over the place. He says, now that you're a Christian, you ought to work circumspectly. You ought to walk exactly, cautiously. Um. You ever been around um, a, a mountain or a ledge, you know, where there wasn't a barrier, you know? 
Now, I don't know how you are, but I, I'm really nervous around things that just fall, especially if I've got my kids with me. We were in um, Eber Springs, Arkansas, and they had, they, they call it Sugarloaf Mountain, is what it's called, all right, Sugarloaf Mountain. And basically, you take this whole trail to get to the top of this mountain. But when you get to the top of this mountain, it's like it just, it, it just drops. I mean, the edge, and it just drops. Well, my boys are getting older. Samuel was with me at the time. And, and I looked over, and Samuel is sitting with his feet dangling on the edge. And I'm thinking to myself, why do you act like your mother's side of the family? I'm thinking, the guy's going to fall off the end, and I'm going to explain to his mother how he died. You know, Christians act like that sometimes. You have no fear of temptation. You know, we often quote verse 13, but it's verse number 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, wherefore, yeah, to him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he, what? Fall. Fall. You know, we as Christians say, well, we come up to the edge. Well, I haven't sinned yet. But you're as close as you can be to falling into sin. You know, sometimes we get criticized because our convictions and standards are over here. Well, you don't have to be that spiritual. No, you don't have to be this spiritual. But I'd rather be back there than being right here. When we talk about the boy-girl relationship. We say, listen, around here, boys and girls aren't supposed to touch. You're not going to hold hands. You're not going to sit too close. If you're in the school or college or whether we're, obviously I'm in, con in control of the rule there, I can, I can say, you're not going to do that. Now, what your parents do at their place, that's one thing, but you're not doing that here. You're not going to do that. You say, Pastor, we, didn't, we, didn't, we weren't immoral. I know you weren't immoral, but there's no sense being right here on the edge. There's certain things that we do because we don't want to, we want to be circumspect. We want to be exact. We want to be cautious that we don't end up in sin or do things that would displease the Lord. Uh, we don't get snow around here, but we get ice, right? It'll rain sometimes. Sometimes it freezes. I think it was last week. I was coming out from my car or coming out from the metal building. I was going to my car. And, I was, and I'm talking, it was a thin layer. I almost ended up on my back. When I hit that seat of ice, I mean, I went backwards and barely caught myself. You know why? I wasn't being careful. I was walking out there just like normal. You know, Christians mess up in life because you're not, you're not thinking. You're, you, it, it, nothing's going to happen to me. I don't have to be careful. God says, I want you to walk circumspectly. I want you to walk carefully. I want you to walk exactly. Now, look here. He tells us three things here on how to do that. Look at your Bible again, verse 15. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as what? Not as fools, but as what? The proverb, Proverbs 14, 16, 14, 16 says this. It says, a wise man feareth and departeth from evil. You know what a wise man does? He doesn't walk like a fool. A fool is nonchalant. Oh, it's not going to affect me. It's okay. You know, the thing I hear from my children a lot is this. Well, how come they get to do it? Or it's okay for their family. I just remind them, you're not in their family. You're in my family. All right? You know, it's this idea of there's nothing wrong with this. It's okay. It's not going to hurt me. The big one. It's not going to kill me. I said, keep acting like that. It's going to. It's not going to kill me. All right? Do you, do you understand that as a Christian, we're supposed to walk circumspectly, and how does he say to do it? Don't be a fool. Don't be silly about the things of God as if it doesn't matter. The things of God should be the highest priority. It does matter. Look what he says next. He says, not only that, don't be, leaves verse number 16. If you're going to walk circumspectly, verse 16, what's the first three words? And why? Because why? 
the days are evil. You know why we ought, we ought to be more careful to live like Christ than ever before, circumspect and exact, is because the days are short. We're supposed to redeem the time. These days that we're living on are evil. But can I tell you, because of that, it ought to cause the Christian to want to be more like Christ and to be more careful as a Christian. Look at the third one he says, next verse. Here's what he says. Here's another reason why he said, listen, you ought to walk circumspectly. Look at verse number 17. Wherefore, be not unwise, but what? Understanding what the will of the Lord is. He didn't say command of the Lord. He said understanding what the will of the Lord is. You know why you ought to work circumspectly? Because I want to do what pleases him. I want to do his will for my life. Circumspectly, exactly. Amen. Church is not about a bunch of rules, you know. Person looks at the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. It just seems like there's always all these things we're not supposed to do. Church, our separation is not to separate us from something. Separation is to separate us to something. The idea is to separate us unto God. And I know we use the term being separate from the world, but truthfully, being separate from the, separate from the world is really separates us unto God. When it comes to living a Christian life and walking circumspectly and all these things that God wants us to do, what does that do? It causes us to be closer to him, not farther away from him. You know, my... Uh, I think that we need to have a healthy fear of things, okay? Like, for instance, uh, I'm not a swimmer, uh, but I figured out a long time ago that if I have a life jacket on, what goes down must come up, all right? At least so far it has happened, okay? As long, I, I can't really swim. I, didn't ha I wasn't around water until after I got married, and then my wife's side of the family were always around water, so, uh, but I figured out a long time ago, I don't care, I've, I've jumped off 20 foot in the air pier, uh, piers and jump into the water. I've done all, because I know that as long as I, oh, I go up, go down, that life check is going to bring me right back up. I think a person ought to help, have a healthy fear of heights, all righty? When I was 30, I said I'd like to jump out of a plane, and I didn't realize that at 50, I'd get a coupon to go fly out, uh, jump out of a plane. I've figured out now that Brother Cornwall does not like me, and so, <laughs> so I, he gave me a coupon to go jump out of a plane, and I did, all right? But be honest with you, I have a, a semi-healthy fear of, of, of jumping out of airplanes. I had somebody on the back of me, tandem. I had a parachute on. If I'm going to die, the guy behind me was going to die. All right? It's just part of it. All right? You know, there's, there, as a, as a, in, our, in our life, we have a healthy fear. You should have a healthy fear of things. A person who's not afraid of heights at all, that's not healthy. A person who has no fear of water, not healthy. And the Christian who has no fear of sin, not healthy. It's not healthy. You need to make sure that you put some precautions in place so that you don't mess up in life. And it doesn't matter what your appetite is. You know what your appetite, your sinful appetite is. What I'm going to do is I'm going to stop parking myself right here. I'm going to walk circumspectly. I'm going to be cautious about this thing because I don't want to mess up. And if I do mess up, I still haven't sinned. So what does he say? You're no longer going to walk like the world. He says, first of all, I want you to walk in what? Number one, you're supposed to walk in? Walk in love. Say it with me. You're supposed to walk in? Love. That's how you're supposed to love everybody. All right? Supposed to love everybody. He said, second of all, he says, I want you to walk as what? Children of light. I want you to walk as children of light. I want you to walk like a believer. You're on, you're on my team, not somebody else's team. You're not the world. You're, you're a Christian. And then last of all, he says, your, your habit of life is that you should walk how? 
circumspectly, means exactly, cautiously, as far as I'm going to do exactly what God wants, and I'm going to be cautious that I don't yield to temptation or fall into sin. That's the Christian life. So today, I'm supposed to do those three things. I'm supposed to walk. I'm supposed to walk in love. I'm supposed to walk as a child of light. I'm supposed to walk circumspectly. Tomorrow, I'm supposed to get up. Guess how I'm supposed to walk? I'm supposed to live my life. I'm supposed to live my life loving people. I'm supposed to live my life as a child of God. And I'm supposed to live my life doing exactly what God wants for my life. That's what you're supposed to do too, by the way. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning.